this episode, we're going to be discussing why we avoid discomfort. And as I say that, I'm aware that I'm slightly uncomfortable because the windows are open. It's a beautiful hot day. Um, I'm trying to get a draft through the room and now I'm worried that there will be noise from outside to interrupt us today. Oh, well, it'll be just, you know, the, the, the dust mill will calm or, you know, something will happen outside. People will start shouting in the street and that's OK because that's life, right? It's not that deep. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And, and at some point I'm guessing the cat will wander in and meow very loudly at me because she wants, she's just uncomfortable and yeah. she wants me to make it better. Oh, yeah, Gizmo was not in a good way yesterday. Really unhappy with the weather. Um, and interestingly... It's, it, it, I think I was saying to you about um, in the meditation group I run that everyone was boiling last night. So we did a practice that was really helpful for just like letting the hotness be here, which kind of segues really nicely into what we're talking about today. Because when things are uncomfortable, we don't like it, do we? No, no, absolutely. And you know, why wouldn't we try and avoid it? I mean, it's not pleasant, right? Yeah. And it's not just physical discomfort but emotional discomfort or anything where there's that kind of edginess that you know feeling of things not being quite right unpleasantness um and i suppose evolutionarily is that a word it is now (laughs) um we are pre-programmed to know when things aren't quite right or not no aren't quite right or are yes um because Things like disgust have developed, haven't they, as a function to make sure we don't eat mouldy food, for example. Absolutely, and fear so that we don't put ourselves in danger. Yeah, so we're prepared for survival, basically. And both of those counts, survival is paramount. Most of these things come down to survival, don't they? Absolutely, all of that that ancient brain stuff, all of that reptilian brain is, is is about surviving, keeping going. And so it feels natural when things are not pleasant for us to try and get rid. But you and I both know in the work that we do that actually the things that we as humans do to avoid discomfort are not always helpful. No, often those strategies are actually counterproductive um, and cause us more anxiety, more stress um, and cause problems further down the line. Yeah, and and definitely kind of avoidance doesn't make it go away often, particularly when it's around emotional difficulties, you know, burying your head under the duvet or whatever doesn't make how you're feeling go away. I mean, sometimes it does. If you're feeling really tired, if that's the unpleasantness and sleep is the answer, then obviously that might be a remedy. But when it's something a bit more deep-seated or we're having a, a particular difficulty in our life, these things need to be worked through often and and... Absolutely, avoidance doesn't work. No, no, and we've all had that situation where it's felt like what we want to do is to stay on the sofa and watch trashy telly or pull the duvet over our heads and do that, and then at the end of the day feel a whole lot worse that actually it hasn't been a helpful thing. Yeah, and I often get the opposite. I I get a feeling of like wanting to run away. Hmm. Like it'll all be all right if I remove myself. But actually, you know, when the problem is in me... What does John Kabat-Zinn say? Everywhere you go, there you are. Yeah, absolutely. You take you with you. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, people do that, don't they? They oh. move house and change job and things in the hope that, uh, in the belief that it's going to fix what they perceive to be wrong with life. And we often spend a lot of time looking outside of ourselves for the thing that's going to make us feel better. Absolutely. And I've had clients do that move country. Wow. Um, 
yeah leave relationships and actually why they end up with with me in my room is because they've taken themselves with them and yeah. and they haven't escaped the problem yeah. it's so interesting isn't it that 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 kind of sense that our problems can either be fixed by removing ourselves from the problem or by bringing things in from outside like shiny object syndrome you know buying things that give that quick dopamine hit or um, well yeah other strategies that you know we know like uh, that we use for avoidance that are really unhelpful like drink and drugs so all of those numbing ones right where we where we eat or drink or as you say take drugs go shopping eat too much scroll of doom yeah yeah. spend hours you know, scrolling through, put your social media place of choice here, yeah. um, you know, that, as a way of distracting ourselves, but we don't feel great. And often we then beat ourselves up about that activity as well. So we've kind of added to our problems. Yeah, so I work as part of a coaching programme to break diet culture and, and, and ensure that people get off that bandwagon and start to repair the kind of emotional relationship they have with eating and um, that that's uh, this binge and purge and beat yourself up cycle is just such a, a destructive and harmful thing both physically and mentally yeah. um, and that's the same with booze or, or drugs or, or any of that and in fact we were discussing earlier that that new addiction that we seem to have in modern day society which is being really busy yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely yes and you hear it all the time oh certainly I do you know people who do a lot of taking care of others but they can't take care of themselves because they're too busy and they're Mm. at the bottom of that priority pile and and all of their problem and and then they're in my consulting room because because life's got life's got on top of them it's got too much and there's a lot of guilt associated yeah. with doing nothing. Absolutely. And giving ourselves downtime and rest and recuperation. I just, I, I was going to say I don't get it. I do get it, but I don't understand how we've got here. Yeah. You know, it just seems really crazy that the, if we look at the world compared to 40 years ago, compared to 80 years ago, the sort of fast-pacedness and everything. I, I have clients that were in their 70s that said they were never like that before they didn't feel like that when they were young mums like the young mums describe how they are yeah. now because there was there wasn't incumbent on them to go to work or to you know and they had quite a nice sort of steady life no 5,000 channels on the telly or, or the internet all night long or whatever you had to switch off the telly at, at midnight or whatever because you got the test card and all that stuff has kind of just added to this yeah absolutely glorification of busy and yes. feeling like we should and the, absolutely that's i think that's the thing the more choice there is the more we think we need to make those choices right and and actually one of those choices is is not to um but we don't see that one mm-hmm. uh and 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 it, it it's exhausting yeah. it's utterly exhausting and one of the things that we we might end up doing is sort of avoiding all of these things right to to stay in a little comfortable zone like little island of comfort but but what happens is is that we we still find the edges of that and those become uncomfortable so we pull in further and we pull in further and before we know it one of the outcomes is that we've completely isolated ourselves from all of life and that's not realistic either so it's either that we kind of get overwhelmed by it all 
you know. Or, or it narrows down or to it narrows practically down. nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really, that's a really interesting kind of exploration, isn't it, of, of how avoiding doesn't help. No. Just, it just, it doesn't help. But, no. but yet yeah, it feels such a natural thing to do. Um, I think one of the other things that we try and do when stuff is unpleasant or difficult to avoid discomfort is kind of have a, an argument with it, you know, if it's internal discomfort. Certainly people that I've worked with that have a lot of ruminative thoughts, my brain's so busy it never shuts up. It's like, oh, shut up brain. You know, there's almost an argument going on with the busy head or a particular emotion that might yeah. be around, like anger or something. Why would we want it to be here? You know, it's only natural. Like it feels instinctive to get rid of what's unpleasant. Yes, absolutely. And I have lots of clients who who kind of do that, who then beat themselves up, right? So now they're trying to get rid of, oh, I'm so stupid for thinking like that, yeah. you know? Um, and and actually all that does is amplify the feelings. It we can't we can't push them away. We you know, it, it, that doesn't work. It gives them power mm. and makes them much more present and much more much more right in front of us and, and really very difficult then to, to manage, to cope with. Yeah, and I heard something really interesting the other day and I'd never really looked at it like this. But obviously we get stressed from outside stressors. It, it triggers the fight, flight, freeze um, response, as we've, we've talked about before, and I'm sure people are generally aware. That beating ourselves up triggers the fight mode from mm. the inside. And I'd never really thought about it like that. Yeah. But we're actually, we're aggressing ourselves, that's not a word either. There's Being some aggressive to ourselves absolutely. and creating the, the fear response that yeah. then threat response is activated by our own internal beating up. Yes, absolutely. There is some um, uh, some neurological research that shows that the same areas of your brain that get activated then are the ones that get activated when you're bullied. So yes. you're actually bullying yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of that. course, you have that stress response because you're being bullied, and your brain kind of doesn't know the difference between that being an outside person and and and, and you. It just knows that that's what's happening. Yeah. God, we're so mean to ourselves, aren't I know. we? I know, right? So every time there's a bit of criticism, every time there's a bit of kind of, you're such an idiot for doing that, we are activating our threat response system and bullying ourselves. Yeah. It's really worth noticing <laughs> what we, and what our internal dialogue is like, isn't it? I mean, that, yes. that's one of the things I know you talk to your clients about. So certainly it's like a tenet of mindfulness to be aware of, of what's happening as it's happening. Not to judge it, but just to recognise it. Because if we catch ourselves bullying ourselves, we might just go, oh, that's not helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I talk a lot with my clients about sort of rewriting that story. Mm. So that's one story that I was stupid for forgetting mm. that. And is there, a, is there another way of looking at that? Mm. Could I say, oh, I seem to have a lot on my mind at the moment. Yeah, that's a more compassionate response. <laughs> absolutely. And I think, yeah, I, 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 in a similar way, I say, if it was your friend walking through the door right yeah. now saying that, would you be saying to them, God, you're so stupid? And always, they're like, no, I'd be they're never speak to right? anyone like that. <laughs> yeah. So why do we speak to ourselves like that? There we go. Why do we speak to ourselves that we know that that's going to be another episode? Maybe it'll be the next one, because it seems to segue nicely on. Um, so after fighting off, then we often move to fix mode, don't we? Trying to, how can I get rid of it? What can I do? What's the solution? And, and then fixing 
can get us very stuck, can't it? It can get us really stuck, yeah, because often the things that we come up with as solutions aren't really about about what's going on, right? That, that you know, I'll write a list, I'll, I'll cook something, and often those lead into those other distractions that we've been talking about yeah. as well, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's it, it just becomes this awful cycle of 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 re-traumatizing ourselves and that's the stuckness yes that, you know, we're both for the, you know you can't see us but we're both actually drawing circles right now because that cycle of rumination or, or thoughts that go round and round and round when we're desperately trying to fix it um is, is it feels like a circle because it's like a hamster wheel that you can't get off um and the 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 human brain is so incredibly adept at solving problems for practical, like why we're the apex predator, why we're so good at our jobs. You know, we can look at what happened, look at what things, how things need to be, work out how to get there. Um, doesn't apply to our emotions or being happier or better or no. the person we thought we should or more like the Joneses or whatever. Absolutely and so often with clients I do a lot of work in in grief and 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 loss so a lot of a lot of clients who have been bereaved will say things like it's been a year I should be you know they have an idea about what this ought to look like yeah. now and I have such problems with those words shoulds and oughts mm. because they're just another stick to beat ourselves up about. You it's know? more bullying, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. We were talking um, in, in, in teaching this week about the bar that we set for ourselves in expectation is so much higher yeah. than it is for, for anyone else. You Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. That, that our expectations of other people don't come anywhere near to what we expect from ourselves. And that's this constant kind of shoulds and woulds and yeah. how it's supposed to be. Yes, I shouldn't still be crying. It's been a whole year. Yeah. And I say something along the lines of, it's only, oh, it's only been a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, and so the antidote, if we like, to all of this, there's a couple of things I think that spring to mind. One of them, as we've pointed to, is this more friendly, kindly approach to ourselves as we would to a good friend, right? Yeah. That there, that we can let ourselves off the hook a little bit for being human, mm. you know, looking at avoiding as a evolutionary thing that we haven't got saber-toothed tigers running around the corner at us anymore which is a stroke of luck right they probably weren't corners really were they in those days <laughs> or, or, or many running around corners at any given moment but there was the possibility that there would be a threat and it was balanced with lots of downtime yeah also but we don't really have those kind of threats that should uh, kind of affect the stress response system quite as strongly as they do so we overreact and catastrophize and often when things aren't that deep, right? Absolutely. And if we could learn to pose that question to ourselves, mm. if this was happening to my friend, what would I say? What would I be mm. saying to her or him? Mm. You know, that and, and then can I allow myself to hear that? Yeah. I think sometimes we have to start doing these things very explicitly before they can become an automatic process, right? Yeah. We have to grow that neural connection Definitely. before it becomes an automatic response. Yeah. And that can be a little bit tedious, right? We kind of go, oh, okay, this is what I need to ask myself now. Yeah. And I don't want to. Well, <laughs> catching there's, it is there's a, resistance to that, of right? Course. <laughs> and catching
catching it is the is the yeah. first thing with all of this stuff we're talking to if we can be aware of it if we can catch it happening and then we might ask is this a proportionate response how am i being right now I, you know my heart is racing i'm clenching my jaw my hands are kind of balls i'm insulting myself and i'm beating myself <laughs> up verbally internally um is it proportionate? You know, sometimes our fear of response is proportionate. We do need it for some things, or some things will be saber-toothed tiger-like yeah. in their threat to us. But often it's not. No. And so if we can notice that and then recognise that and say, okay, so I am reacting in this huge way. Reaction is here. And then that... So if it was if someone I cared about explaining this situation to me, what would I be saying? I'd be inviting some... Maybe either in for a cup of tea or I'd be giving them a cuddle or something and bringing that quality to our own experience. It's not easy. No, it's not. It's not. I avoided it a long time. You know, even though I was practicing mindfulness and, and, and meditating every day, the kindness practices and the practices of it, I just thought, nah, don't believe in that bit, you know. And actually now, all these years on it, it's like, oh my gosh, that's the most important bit. Yeah. But it took a long way in because well, it was so you know it, I practice so hard the other way I'm so self-critical yeah absolutely and I and I think I think that's um I think that's why it's so difficult right because because it's it feels self-indulgent um and we feel like we're an exception so you know I'm furious that I broke that glass and 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 it does matter because of all of these reasons but actually when it's my dad who breaks the glass, you know, I, I'm much more likely to say, it's Don't just worry. a glass. It's just a It's glass. okay, you know, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. It, it, we hold ourselves to a higher standard and, and that's a real problem, mm. I think. And we're a little bit kind of self-obsessed, aren't we? Yeah. That, you know, I ought to be better than that. Yes. It's all right. It's okay that other people, yeah. you know, are human. But yeah. I need to be, what, more than that? That, that, that doesn't seem reasonable uh, and so much of our discomfort in the world is because we care about how we are seen how we're yeah. showing up how other people might be thinking about us how we are in relation to the rest of the world that that's one of the reasons for our biggest discomfort absolutely that but for all but what we forget i think is that for everybody they are the center of yes. their worlds right yeah. so so everybody everybody is doing that you know to a greater or lesser degree that sort of how am I in relation to my world? And how am I being perceived? Absolutely, and 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 if and if we are far too, far, if we are far too busy fretting about how we are seen to be looking at other people, yeah. then that's probably the case for other people as well. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So there's that, and it, and oh gosh, I'm going really off turn okay. off the topic, but it's, Go for it seems it. really it seems really important that it, there's this kind of sense about it's it's the kind of it is the anxiety about the future and someone said well what about if you were kind of like oh regretting something that you did this morning but you're still it's not the thing you did this morning it's it's the consequences of that that might happen that actually become the thing so this is it's always this future me how i'm going to be perceived or whatever um, anyway, that's yes. not a tangent, but it's a really interesting that's kind a, of point. So it, the, yes, it is. So I'll come back on to that now. So <laughs> kindness, yeah. noticing when we're beating ourselves up or whatever, that's one element of it. Really super important, right? 
absolutely and the other one is allowing it you know that that it's that it's okay it is here and it is okay Mm -hmm. and it feels paradoxical right that if we if we acknowledge it actually it takes away the power it diminishes those feelings Mm -hmm. and sort of puts them puts them in a much smaller space and then and then it's it's odd how it happens we can then be more comfortable around them yeah well it's a if we're avoiding and not looking at what's here let's say it's a really difficult emotion or something and I know in the work that you do and in the work that I do it's not something we would do in the first session like let's rip the lid off Pandora's box and peer into all the difficult stuff that's going on but you know we work to get there that actually paradoxically you know the when we do turn to look at it if we can have a little peek and it's not quite as awful often to let it be as we think it is you know the the thought of being with it just feels like no why would I I want to get rid of the anger I don't want to sit with and be with but actually knowing that actually this quality of allowing of letting things be as they are with some friendliness is the real it's the way out isn't it it, it, it absolutely is. Do you, do you know, it suddenly strikes me that it's analogous to that situation where you're really fearing an interview or a conversation or whatever, and almost always when you get to the thing you're fearing, it's not as bad as you thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I think it's the same with the emotions, right? That if I could just be with that anger, with that upset, with that distress, actually, it's bearable. And and then I can be with that and also see something else, feel something else as well. And what comes with that is stretching the comfort zone, the zone, yeah. the window of tolerance, and becoming more resilient and not being um, quite as reactive to the smaller stuff. Yeah. We find that the stuff that isn't that deep doesn't affect us quite as quickly or as strongly and actually our window of tolerance grows and that's where emotional resilience comes from. Absolutely and and, and actually and, you know I, I've talked about this before but that smorgasbord of feelings, yeah. emotions which is part of resilience is something that we can tap into if we are not trying to deny this thing that's overtaking us. Yeah. If we can be with it, we can also experience all of the others. And that is about pushing our window of tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think just an example of where we know it works, just to sort of end with, is something like um, a panic attack. Yeah. Um, Because for those that have ever, um, let's call it suffered with a panic attack, um, if the brain kind of thinks that the body's either we're in danger, right, doesn't it? So the brain's sending signals like heart racing and breathing quicker to, to get the adrenaline pumping. And, of course, the natural response is, to, I don't want this, I don't want to have it. So we fight it off, ignore the brain, ignore the signals, like getting into that kind of struggle with it, which then makes the brain go, you're not listening to me, so I'm going to ramp it up to the highest degree. And then, of course, finding ourselves in a kind of a highly escalated state of fear and panic and feeling like we're going to die because because the brain is telling us we must be in serious danger and you're not even listening to me. Um, where in actual fact, at that first sign of kind of heart racing, of breath speeding up, if there's an ability to kind of just recognise, ah, anxiety is here, how might I breathe, soften, let be, 
bring ease. It takes practice, right? You know, it takes practice. There's a real caveat here, but knowing this is the kind of this is the way out. I just think that's quite a, a, a good analogy for seeing how that can work in practice. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think I think that's a great place to to stop. This mm. has been an excellent chat. I've really yeah, enjoyed this. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to It's Not That Deep with Lucy Woods and Adrienne Kirk. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe so you never miss an episode?